Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight is Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Good evening, everyone. Uh, so tonight, we are going to be talking about the return in three dimensions of the Close Combat series via Slytherin's Close Combat, The Bloody First. Uh, for those of you who haven't followed along, this is, marks kind of a reboot of the long-running Close Combat franchise that began with Atomic Games uh, many, many years ago uh, under Microsoft. Slytherin acquired the rights a number of years ago and continued to make new Close Combat games that were very similar to the old ones that we know and love. Uh, very top-down, uh, sprite-based uh, war games focused on individual squads and weapons teams and individual vehicles uh, that tried to cover just about any any military action that happened uh, in continental Europe during World War II. Now we have the Bloody First, which breaks from that old presentation and introduces a new 3D engine, 3D terrain, uh, 3D model units and characters, and also strings it all together in a really ambitious uh, macro campaign that lets you take part in the military operations of the 1st Infantry Division all the way from North Africa to Sicily to uh, France following D-Day. And Troy, I am curious how you think they did with bringing close combat into the modern era. It's hard. It's, it's, it's really hard to know how to evaluate this game in so many ways. I mean, for, I mean 3D tactical games are quite a few out there. Um, and I mean, combat mission is still the gold standard for me. And a lot of times I was playing this thinking, wishing it was combat mission. Um, but it's not, it's, it's close combat. It is a big picture way up, uh, squad combat and the 3d interface is there are a lot of good things in it let's let's start there uh first of all the 3d interface makes it a lot easier to intuitively track things like line of sight mm -hmm. uh to know where the ridges are to know when there might be some cover and how big that cover is going to be you don't have to just guess well because this uh, was a recurring issue with the old close combat games where i think i didn't notice it so much with the early like close combat yeah. 2 for instance is pretty flat dutch terrain and like where there's a causeway you see there's a big honking causeway a lot of it is also city streets and so this idea of elevation playing into it too much uh isn't really a thing you have to worry about but do you remember how in close combat 3 they were trying to have like rolling terrain with folds and little like hidden nooks and crannies and you yeah. couldn't see that unless you use the line of sight tool yeah, you have little hollows little berms and yeah the line of sight tool is fine but it's nice to not have to rely on that all the time uh the topographical maps here are very good they're quite well drawn uh and the line of sight tool is also very good in it so it's easy to like move troops around and have an idea of how covered they're going to be when they get there um i do miss a kind of well, a couple of little things. I remember in the close combat where you'd uh, lasso a bunch of units and you'd tell them all to go in a direction and they'd keep their relative placing as they advance forward. They don't do that here. They all bunch up and go up to their final destination, which is a problem. Uh, so you have to, you can't do, they don't have this relative uh, positioning, which is, I, I think, an issue. So, but it, it's, 
it's it's a the 3D move is a better move than I thought it would be based upon just uh moving your army around, getting a sense of the terrain, knowing what the best approaches are going to be, uh, knowing where you can put an ambush. Close combat has always been a game about ambushes, uh, especially on the defense, but even on the offense, uh, preparing for a counterattack, getting your troops into position to finally let loose with the fire, um, sneaking behind that mortar, knowing knowing how the terrain looks... is very important in close combat. Always has it. So I really do appreciate the attention they've given to the topographical stuff on the map. Uh, the colors are awful. I'll just yeah. say that right out. These are ugly, ugly maps. Um, they are the washed out colors of people who think that bright colors have nothing to do with war. Uh, people who like sand tables and sagebrush. Uh, there's really nothing in the maps that comes alive or feels alive or like a real battlefield or any real location at all. Uh, the Omaha Beach battle, for example, looks nothing like an Omaha Beach battle to look like. It doesn't look like, you know, the beaches of France uh, with any sort of cliff. It looks like just this dull green meadow beyond a hill. Uh, so I think a lot of the... Uh, just artistic side of the maps could be drawn up a lot more closely. Uh, all the buildings are one story, mm-hmm. which is a big issue, I think, because uh, one of the great virtues of close combat and in, in, in combat mission is if there's going to be buildings, you should have building to building fights. You should be able to have uh, the second story so you have a better range of vision. Um, and it's not like they didn't have a second story back in 19. 19- 44. The, these had been invented uh, well before then. Um, and you look at uh, rival, get the earlier combat missions, you look at Steel Division, you look at, um, well, not Steel Division, look close combat missions, Steel Division, you only have one unit uh, per building. And here it's just still just the one floor, um, so you lose any of the infantry house to house combat, which is okay because that's not what this is about, really. And that's kind of one of the issues I have with the game is that in many ways it's a really big step forward in that it is going back towards infantry-centered combat, which is what close combat is all about. If you look at uh, Gateway to Kine or um, what was the other one? Oh, gosh. Uh, Ken's last one I played. Uh, was it Panthers in the Fog? Panthers in the Fog, right. Gateway to Kine, Panthers in the Fog. Those were very vehicle-focused. Uh, very heavy on armor and anti-tanks and that's great if you're playing Steel Panther and it's a lot of fun to move them around. But once you get a couple of tanks in a kill position, they just annihilate everything coming down that road and the AI cannot keep up. Here with infantry, um, it is all, it's back to basics. There are always a few vehicles, there could be a few vehicles around, but never more than like two or three per map. Uh, so it comes down to can you take them out in time? Can you get the angle on that Panzer or that half-track? Um, it becomes a much more interesting tactical game, or it would if the iconography was better, because all the infantry looks the same. All of the yeah. icons, I cannot tell just at a glance who is the mortar, who is the rifle, who is the machine gun. I need to click on them to know. No, you have to have like clearer icons. They should not, all, just, all the icons should not be dudes. They should be the weapon. The mortar should be a mortar. The rifle should be a rifle. The machine gun should be a machine gun and not a man. 
uh, with a different position. So I have a lot of issues with the artistic presentation of the game. Um, And the game itself, I think, has... I'm saying that because I really don't know how I feel about the game itself. I've really been struggling trying to get my, my finger on why I'm not responding to close combat the way I thought I would, even though it has all the things I really love. It has infantry combat. It has sneaking around. It has calling in that uh, artillery strike to save your ass. Something is not working for me, and I can't put my finger on it. It's a really confounding game. Because it is a game that, first of all, makes me think maybe I just have played my lifetime quotient of close combat and I've seen the system and I don't need to go through it again. Like my interest is more toward things like um, command ops or flashpoint campaigns or armored. You know what I mean? Like just very like newer systems that have different approaches to combat and maybe not necessarily at this exact scale, but there are new systems that present this kind of like this type of uh, combined arms campaign in more interesting and dynamic ways, ways that feel maybe a little bit truer to how we understand how campaigns like this were fought and and are fought. Uh, it's it's possible that that there is an element of that in play here, but I do think I think a lot of this goes back to presentation and a certain kind of conservativeness about how you go about updating close combat. Um, so. Initially, I have to admit, there was there was a point early on where I was thinking, all I needed from Close Combat was a 3D map. And this gave me that. I was really happy. Like, the first time I had a very, very snappy line of sight tool that immediately gave me not just a line of sight, like, string, right? You're not just drawing a line from point to point. But, like, very quickly will give you a uh, what is visible from this location uh, sort of heat map of line of sight based on where you where you are uh mousing over that is a huge quality of life improvement for a close combat game but i do think that a lot of the other issues you raise ended up being quality of life degradations in in some ways i think the series already had some readability problems with the sprite graphics especially the scale increased uh, gateway to con, I was routinely struggling to sort of see where my little green dudes were once they sort of blended in with the green of the terrain. Uh, I think the interface very quickly gets overwhelmed. Like, you, you get a long list of the units under your command, but there's not a ton of helpful info. It takes up a large amount of screen real estate, but it doesn't do a very good job of unpacking the detail of what is happening for squads. You can sort of tell at a glance who's gotten who's gotten hit, uh, who's under fire, but it's sort of the same info panel we, we've had for ages. And when you look on the screen, you still have a lot of work to do correlating what you are seeing on the map versus the info panels you see uh you know down down in the in the interface because as you say the interface is telling you it's showing these poor icons 
to indicate what type of special unit it is. But if you have like two mortar teams or three heavy machine gun teams uh, in, in a map, it is very tough to tell looking at the map who is what. You know, you see a weapon crew in, in, a, in a foxhole somewhere, but nothing about it suggests what they're actually there to do. It's not until, like, if it's a machine gunner, they'll start firing machine gun rounds. And they're like, oh, they're, you know, there's the machine gunner. But it's, it's very, I struggle to read this map. And I think it, it doesn't help that nothing pops against this map. Um, I think Africa is terrible in terms of how it is presented. It is just a pale, washed-out khaki expanse. Uh, that goes on forever. And I don't think Sicily is that much more dynamic uh, no. visually. So I, I think there is a recurring problem where it's not just, I, I think there's this tendency maybe among board game developers to think that I hear a lot of things described as Chrome, right? In war game circles that outside of people making war games are not regarded as Chrome, right? Like, there are ways to make attractive, engaging presentations also be informative or help with readability. That isn't Chrome. That isn't people wanting, uh, you know, Total War style graphics. That is people also needing, it's kind of a visual medium, right? You need to provide clear visual cues. This game doesn't have many. Uh, and then in other key ways, Audio cues, for instance, I think it's taken some major steps back. Well, they only have like the a couple of a couple of barks, right? And they're just recycled over and over again. And it doesn't give me any clue onto what their situation necessarily is. I hear people in pain, people are afraid, and I'm not sure where the panicking is necessarily. I don't recall having that problem necessarily before. I could just generally the map was a little smaller in the earlier close combat. So that was part of it, made it a little bit easier. Um, but uh, if after the first, you know, bit of return fire, somebody's screaming, we're doomed, I don't know how seriously to take that where they're not taking any casualties. Uh, when they say the exact same thing, when they're on the verge of just breaking. Um, I mean, the, the one really good visual cue is that it tells you in which direction your units are taking fire. Which yeah. I find really, really helpful to a point. I mean, it's great to know that, okay, where there are bullets coming at these guys and they, they know which direction they're coming from. They might not be able to see the unit, but there's something out there somewhere. Which is great unless there are like a whole bunch of units out there and you still don't know which one's the machine gun and which one's the mortar. Because yeah. the machine gun can be firing on you, but that does not mean there's not a mortar back there. Also, are mortars maybe too effective in this game? Because ah. I never, ever, like, what machine guns accomplished for me compared to what mortars accomplished was night and day. And I think part of it is it didn't feel like mortar teams, mortar teams were sort of preternaturally accurate. Uh, whether or not they had a direct line of sight on their target area or whether or not there was like a command loop uh, leading from a forward officer down like back to the mortars position. It didn't really seem to affect their accuracy one way or another. But as you said, this is a really infantry focused game. And I just don't remember 
and this isn't just an issue with this game. I, I started to feel this way with Gateway to Khan as well, but I sort of forgave it because Gateway to Khan is a is a hedgerow game, right? That is a place where indirect fire weapons are going to be really at an advantage uh, in terms of what they can get done. But here, I was astonished how often I could just sit back and let the mortars go to work and chew up the enemy and then walk over. Like, basically, a strategy that worked really, really well for me was to just sort of um, buckle down, ride out the early po- portion of a of, of a match, basically, of a battle, wait until a lot of enemies came into view, and then just start blasting the hell out of them with mortars, and then mop up. I was really astonished how well that worked, um, particularly in... You know, places like uh, Africa, Sicily, where basically unit like there's a ton of open ground where units just can't once they've been spotted, they just can't escape. Um, and so the the other issue I ran into is to me this game felt really exploitable, and yeah. I just don't think that you know we we've we've read a fair amount about you know combat experiences of World War II soldiers, right? The mortar doesn't really rain. It doesn't like loom that large in a lot of accounts of World War II combat. But in these, in, in this game in particular, my God, it really did just feel like once something is exposed, the mortar's ability to instantly strike it was just a huge advantage. Mortars have always been overpowered in close combat, especially in the last uh, two or three. Uh, There's not just in this one, um, and I've had like. If you bunch your infantry up together poorly, either because you sent them all in one direction uh, or because it's a good place for a lot of guys to hide and get their shots in, I've had entire divisions just decimated by a yeah. mortar. Um, it's a thing that I used to do in, the, in like in, uh, in Gateway to Khan. I'd, I'd, I'd know where the enemy was making their entry and I'd just shell it with mortar fire and you ask for a truce after three minutes. Because the AI was that bad. Um, apparently, I'm an idiot, too. But yeah, mortars are grossly overpowered. Uh, and they move very, very quickly. They fire very quickly. And yes, very accurately. The tutorial suggests, oh, they need a line of sight. They need to at least have somebody spot. They don't really need to have somebody spot. They can, they can guess. Because you can just point the mortar. And if you have a hint of where somebody is, uh, you can fire away. Who's going to stop you? And you can do a lot of damage. And they are very accurate. And they have a lot of ammo. They, they, the mortars have a lot of shells, yeah. um, which I think is relatively new. These would be rel- quite, quite a bit limited, I recall, especially in the earlier close combats. You couldn't just shell for the whole game. Um, you had to make sure your mortar shots counted. Uh, you couldn't waste them by overshooting uh, because you can't carry that many. So you know, mortars are a problem. Machine guns are – they're still powerful but not at that level. Um Tanks are tanks are weird. tanks are interesting. Yeah, they're I, I mean they 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 move pretty fast on all of these terrains, which is great. They move fast through Tunisia, pretty good speed through the hills of Sicily. Um, they are what is when they can move at all. They will very often say, "I can't get there from here," so you have to find a way. If you position them incorrectly in the three D terrain, they will not sometimes not find a path. Uh, if you're not careful with your pre-battle deployment, I had a I had a Sherman stuck, yeah, uh, in a few hills because I didn't 
think too much where, where I was placing it. So you've got to be careful about that. So it takes that sort of thing very, very seriously, which is fine. It's be nice to know. Um, but the other field of vision is very limited, which is great. Uh, they're powerful, but they don't, they don't, can't win a battle for you like they could oh, single-handedly. Like they could in uh, Panthers in the Fog, um, they have to be taken care of. But they can be taken care of by by an infantry crew that sneaks up on it. They, an infantry crew can dispatch a tank if it gets it from the right angle. Um, you're better off with AT guns, but you might not have any. Uh, so, but you can't assume they're going to carry the day, uh, even in a mostly infantry fight. Even if it's the only tank fighting just infantry. It is the only tank, and it can be because many of the uh, pathways and the approach routes are so obvious for a tank. It's going to be coming down a yeah. road. You can set up the ambush. You can plan things. Uh, you know they have a tank. You can hear it. Uh, so you can plan around that, which can make battles interesting if there's only one or two of them. If you have you know seven or eight of them, setting up that ambush on one tank is not going to help you. Uh, which is why I'm I'm glad they've scaled down the number of vehicles and have focused on you know, infantry versus it's it's like a, a bunch of peasants taking down the evil dragon. It's, I think we've I think we've talked about this Troy where like I am firmly in the I don't hate close combat three but the thing yeah. I hold against it is it really marked a shift to let's scale up and yep. have more armor. Yep. And this is a system like the roots of this system is a psychological soldier model. Like the, yep. the root of it is uh, the psychology of morale. And I think too many tanks is very quickly, like it very quickly kind of uh, starts unraveling the fabric of what makes a close combat game uh, memorable. I think this, like this to me feels like the right scale. A tank yeah. is a major thing on the battlefield, especially if it's a, if it's a big tank, yeah. uh, as opposed to just like a, you know, even th that's the other cool thing at this scale, even light armored fighting vehicles still matter, right? Like if, if, you, if, you, if you have one half track laying down covering fire, a lot of close combat is about breaking the morale of the enemy. Even if you don't yeah. kill any of them, if you can chase them away because they're scared, they're not shooting at you. So one half track with a machine gun that can lay down heavy covering fire while you are doing uh, rifles and mortars from another angle, that's a huge morale advantage for you. Yeah. Uh, so I think this, like, it's a good return to this scale, but I, I think there's there's a couple weird things, um, which is... Line of sight detection uh, reports from what troops see is a tricky thing to for like you have to choose how you're going to handle that stuff mm -hmm. as as a war game designer. Like I think the close combat model was very much like there was an uncertainty about what soldiers perceived around them until they had like clear identification. Uh, so you had an like it sort of had this gradations of detection uh, where soldiers knew they were under fire, but weren't necessarily sure from what uh and then you would you could improve your your information here it's very much the classic rts model of the moment something has line of sight on something else um that information is reported back where that begins to frustrate me a little bit is a lot of maps in this game uh in addition to mortars being pretty powerful although the ai doesn't use them as much as as i do uh a lot of for a, for a lot of battles 
each side will have off-map fire support. So you'll have little buttons that say, like, ah, you can call in an airstrike. You can call in, uh, you know, the, there are battleships supporting the landing uh, offshore. You can call in their artillery. You can call in field guns. And they all come with a certain delay, etc. But the, the, the nice thing about them as opposed to mortars is they basically strike anywhere and are massively destructive and have pretty large uh, like fields of fire that they're, that they're putting down, um, or areas of destruction, whatever you want to call it. But what that meant, that like this, this repeated in so many battles, and it really began to piss me off, is that I would have perfectly positioned, like, ambush points. Again, the name of this game is Ambushes, and, like, you're way better off shooting at the side or rear armor of a tank with an AT gun than you are at the front. Um, but the minute that tank comes under fire that gun is completely exposed. Even if it's a first shot kills it, right? Like, even if the tank crests a ridge or turns a corner and just gets taken out immediately, mm -hmm. the AI still records where that shot came from. Now, you have this advantage, too. Um, but the thing that I see happen a lot, and I don't think it necessarily makes for a more interesting battle, is that you have that exchange happen where, like, the ambush takes place, a unit is damaged or explodes, whatever. And then the next thing that happens is that off-map fire support begins to drop on the exact location of, of the ambush, right? Even if it was so well executed that basically everything that stumbled into its kill zone was wiped out in seconds, uh, there will be incoming off-map fire very, very quickly. Uh, and in the case of crude weapons, it's very tough to... First of all, it's tough to move... Once the battle is joined, it's very tough to move in the open. You can't, like, if you're carrying a machine gun, a uh, 50 caliber machine gun, you can't just, like, sprint down a road away from the enemy. They're going to, they're going to see you. But the, the thing that started to get to me was it turned a lot of my crude weapons uh, and my anti-tank weapons into, like, one-shot weapons right like like almost like derringer pistols but for tanks in some ways <laughs> because the odds of me extracting them from their position before incoming fire like completely annihilated them was pretty low and it gave and i don't necessarily hate the idea in general of once these ambushes take place they've kind of given away their position but it led to a certain formulaic feeling of a lot of these battles. And I'm curious if you had that feeling too, where like the, the battle, the, the battles are dynamic based on, you know, who controlled what at the end of the last battle, you know, how the two sides have been doing. This game generates a lot of different scenarios, a lot of different encounter types. Yeah. But in terms of the shape and pacing of the battles, I started to find they had a certain sameness and like there was a phase at which you began using the heavy artillery because it was just a matter of exposing the high value, you know, crude weapons and then pasting those with, with off map. Right. And did, did you run into any of that? Did you, did you run into a thing where it began to feel like you were, you were fighting dozens of different variations of the same battle? Yeah. I mean, a lot of that has to do with the fact that a lot of the maps look the same too. Uh, you are creeping. You're creeping through brush and through hills uh, to try to take a couple of Nazi 
Magic Hills, um, trying to avoid uh, their machine guns or their mortars or their hidden riflemen or scaring away some Italian commandos. Uh, they're such cowards. Uh, I was just playing a, a Tunisian scenario, and I just, I just chased off the Italians very, very quickly. It was very, very embarrassing. Uh, how easy they were to defeat. It's kind of an insult to Italy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the game does set up, oh, yeah, now you have a, here's what you have now, and here's what's going to happen in this battle. But it's, you know, second verse, same as the first. Um, there's, even if your equipment changes a little bit, like, oh, now you now you can have a tank. It doesn't necessarily change how you're going to approach the battle. Uh, it does might change how quickly you get it done, um, it might say, well, this would make things a little bit easier. But, I mean, even those off-map weapons, they're often one-shot deals. Uh, you'll get your off-map mortars, or you'll get your airstrike. If you spend your airstrike taking out a tank, and you miss, somehow the Stukas never miss, but my Mustangs always miss. Yeah. You you have wasted your one-shot. Um, the, and the, the airstrikes come in nice and quick, but the artillery and off-map mortars, they can take a while, which yeah. is why those quick return fires taking out your AT guns, once they've exposed themselves, seem very suspicious to me. Yes. Because it takes me like 45 seconds for the calibration to come in, all the calculations, and those 45 seconds, a lot can happen. Uh, that whole cluster of, uh, high-value units or an approaching uh, infantry squads, they could be somewhere else if I don't pin them down. Uh, so I have to pin them down, make sure they're not moving, and then call in the strike. Because um, it will take 45 seconds for that to happen, um, which is good. That's how it should be. Your, your artillery strikes shouldn't come in automatically. Neither should your airstrikes. Uh, but they're often the one-shot deals. Um, so you, you can't base your strategy around them, but they make your life a lot easier uh, when they work, especially uh, in the Omaha uh, scenario. If you can get your – if your battleship, you know, take, a, take out a couple of those bunkers, uh, you're sitting pretty. You can move up that right flank, uh, encircle on the left, and you're all set. Uh, and they even give you a tank on Omaha Beach, which is nice. Uh, though it very rarely lasts very long. I think something else that, again, this is this is so much a close combat button 3D type game in some ways. And I do wish they'd found ways to maybe, I don't know, it's, um, it feels like over the course of the series it became harder and harder to form any memorable attachments with any squads or squad leaders or troops. And one of my favorite things in the second one was the sense of there were, you know, if you had a really good sniper or really good AT, you know, AT gun crew, they felt meaningful. You know, you could, you, it was very easy to sort of track them from battle to battle or, or maybe there were fewer of them, or maybe I was just more native to interfaces like this. I don't know. But to me, the, the game still has this implication that its model is psychological. Every soldier has a name. Every soldier performs differently and takes away different, like, gains and decreases in resources and stats following a battle. But all of that feels... The, the, the signal-to-noise ratio is very bad on it, right? Like, they don't feel differentiated to me in a meaningful sense. 
Well, you have a whole division, a whole first infantry division. Um, and, you know, you can swap the units in back and forth. They might not even be getting the same soldiers uh, necessarily from battle to battle, which is fine. But one of the, even in some of the earlier close comps, that wasn't a thing. That was a thing where you could, didn't have to, have to bring them along. But it was great to be attached to, you know, a sniper because maybe he needs some rest, but maybe you really, but maybe you really need a sniper. Uh, or this, maybe your, your excellent AT uh, ace, he needs a rest, but this is a heavy armor map. So you got to bring that guy along, uh, even if there's extra stress uh, going on in his life. Or he's come close to death too many times and you know his number's up because, God, this is a war game. Their number is always coming up. Um, I, I, I've i never gotten super attached to my uh, close combat squads. I'm a little bit different from you in that respect. I, they're just, you know, they're just soldiers to me. They're just fodder. No. Um, but, you know, it's like I like to the this afternoon and over lunch. And, you know, one of my groups got the, one of my soldiers got a, the expert marksman skill. Well, that's, that's great. You got the expert marksman skill. I don't know what that's going to do. Yeah. This is one, it's one guy in a rifle squad and there's going to be five rifle squads on the map. And I don't know where the enemy's coming from necessarily on this map. I don't know where to deploy him. Uh, where he can make use of that, so he's he's so his squad gets a little gets a little bonus, and that's nice. But I'm not sure it helps me. Um, and it doesn't happen often enough to really give character to these squads. Yeah, uh, you might get you know one perk or you know a couple of uh, character changes in the course of a battle, but. You don't have any real grand narrative of your division because, again, it is a division. You have a whole lot of things to choose from here. Um, and some battles will be swapping things out and it won't, you won't feel the difference. Um, There's a perhaps excessive generosity with reinforcements here in that yeah. the yeah. way you go through a campaign is that it's almost like for a campaign you're issued a um, maybe a company. And... In that company, you'll have like four rifle platoons, uh, or sorry, like three rifle platoons and a support weapons platoon, a machine gun platoon, whatever. All you will need per battle is maybe one of those platoons, maybe two thirds of one of those platoons. You'll need rifle squad, uh, support weapon, uh, as many mortars as you can fit, but you will you will not use a meaningful fraction of your frontline combat troops. Even if that ensuing battle goes disastrously, oh, did second platoon get completely annihilated during this operation? Uh, well, I will just go to fourth platoon, which hasn't been scratched, and I'll put them in. And it's like all those losses are washed away. And I had very few uh, like operations or campaigns where I began to feel like I really was suffering the effects of attrition, right? Like I felt I very right. rarely had to deploy a depleted unit except for a few like cr specialty crude weapons, right? Like there were times when I was like, look, this AT gun is at half strength, but I need more AT on this map. So, uh, you know, loader gunner, you guys are just gonna have to, to, to pull double duty here, do more with less. Uh, but that was really rare. Yeah. I never felt the strain. 
of uh, even going like well into a campaign. I didn't finish any campaigns, but I got you know five six missions in, and I never felt any strain on resources. Uh, felt that I was uh, even after a couple of really disastrous like Pyrrhic victories, I never felt that. Well, now I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, well, I'll just let these guys sit it out for a bit. And if I need them, they're there. It's not like they picked up any superpowers uh, while they were on the battlefield. So we'll uh, move on with the squads uh, that I have. So it was never really... And that, of course, that will you know lead ties into your point that you don't feel any connection because they're just cogs. They're swapping in and out. Um, and, you know, that's fine. I mean, I don't need to be... To hear, I don't need to be, you know, Mel Gibson in one of these war movies, you know, feeling close to all my soldiers. But if you're going to include that in the game, you should find a way to communicate its value to me. Yeah, and like, I, I think the weird thing is the the the, the first infantry division was routinely handled just gruesome campaigns to slog through, right? Like, uh, you know, North Africa was very much a learn by doing trial by fire, uh, for the U S army. Uh, first infantry is sent in, uh, you know, at Normandy. I want to say first infantry was even pulled into, uh, Hurtgen. And one of the things that emerges in this campaign is that, you know, you read about the Hedro campaign, for instance, it was a routine problem of units rapidly becoming combat ineffective because there were simply not enough troops. Uh, here, they kind of sidestep that because, you know, it, it, you sort of live in this world where, oh, uh, only a quarter of your guys fight at a time and then the rest of your unit will just be sitting back and chilling and ready to yeah. go. Uh, and I think that does kind of cheapen the... Meaning of, you know, one of the things about yeah. a linked campaign like this is how you do in the battlefield. It, it's it's a dangerous thing because you don't want to create failure spirals, right? You don't yeah. want one bad battle to then immediately determine that you're going to have like three more and the campaign's going to collapse. But at the same time, you do want this sense that because I husbanded my resources effectively, but also took the objectives at a brisk pace, we are going to continue... You know, we're going to keep the steamroller moving and we're not going to get bogged down and take, take a bunch of losses. I didn't I mean, feel that's like... That's kind of a funny thing. It I mean, it's matters. like the rest of the, your fight, your battle, and everyone else just, they're, they're sitting in the minor leagues waiting to, waiting to be called up for the next game. Yeah. I mean, no one's, they're not fighting any battles, not doing anything. They're just sitting back waiting to be promoted, uh, which is kind of a weird way. Instead of actually fighting their own battles, it might be nice, you know, to have a little more dynamic approach. Say, okay, here's what we've got. And you don't have fully stocked units to draw from because they've been, they've been everybody, every man is fighting his own battles and so is every platoon. Uh, so they might be doing something off on their own uh, that affects you. And I, you don't want to be, you want to punish a player for, you know, what the RNG is doing on the other side that it can't control. But that might be a nice way of showing that, you know, you need to not count on the fact you're getting, a uh, fully stocked shelf to pick from uh, as you pull a push on to the next big uh, set piece. Did you have any trouble with the victory conditions making sense? Um, I was running into a problem with this game where... So... Sometimes? A, a lot of the maps are tug of war, 
right? Where you will have the objectives on your side of the map, the objectives on their side of the map, and there's some middle objectives. And there's a lot of, as you say, magic hills, strategic crossroads that look like a deer track intersecting with a dirt path, things like that, where it's like if you control this, you're, you're advancing across the map. And when you control all of them, you've won the map and uh, the action moves on to the next one. So you'll have like three maps strung together. And, uh, you know, for instance, when you're, when, when the allies are landing in Sicily, you will begin on a shore or like slightly inland map. And then there will be sort of an open country map. And then there will be like a more dense town type map that you will be the third map that you'll encounter. Something like that is, you know, you will advance through those. And there's this idea of the faster you move, uh, you can sort of, outpace the German reinforcements uh, so that you can get the advantage of your surprise landing. But the other way that battles tend to end, and I saw this way more than I saw a battle resolved via um, capture of objectives, is that enemy, enemy morale can break. I was surprised how often I would be told, like, enemy morale broke. And then the message I would get is, ah, but you didn't take your objectives. So we're going to do this. Like, so you gained we're no do ground. It again. Yeah. Did that, yeah. did that happen to you? Yeah, it happened quite a bit where, you know, I'd chase the enemy off or the timer would go down. I emailed them about this. I was like, this seems, this seems utterly fucked. It was like, okay, well, we're, you're, I mean, I guess it makes some kind of sense. Well, the battle's still here the next day. They I actually, just didn't I even got over, text but. that was like, you failed to advance and you even lost ground. And I was like, I lost ground because I didn't deploy my guys forward. And then the mortars broke their will so quickly that the battle ended. Yeah, you you, you can just walk up and take that. I mean, they're, they're gone. Who's going to shoot yeah. you? They're all left. Um, so, I mean, it's... I understand they want to have, they want to encourage some sort of offensive behavior, so offensive maneuvers, not offensive behavior, uh, so that you're not just sitting back, you know, taking pot shots and just chasing everybody off uh, as they advance towards you. So I, I'm not too annoyed by that. Um, I am a little annoyed when it says, oh, it's a marginal victory. You did manage to take one of the victory points. Uh, but you took a few more casualties than they did. So we're going to make you do it over again. It's like, why? Why? They're broken. I took heavier casualties than expected, but I have more victory points. I don't understand why I have to fight that battle over. Why can't I just move on to the next one? Uh, So sometimes the definition of when you stay still and when you progress in a campaign is not entirely clear. It did teach me to be a lot more aggressive, uh, which I think has made me probably a better General Grant. Uh, so I'm sorry, guys, you're all going to die, but Sh- Shiloh has to fall. And, and so I, unless I'm fighting the Italians, in which case it's pretty easy. There is a lot of, so it does force you to learn th- things about uh, doing a right attack approach, softening up an attack with cover fire, moving your machine guns forward with covering fire to protect them. As you say, you know, they're sitting ducks if they start walking across a field um studying the deployment a little more closely so i think because of the way they do the victory conditions the way they force you the different ways they can make you do the battle over again i think forcing me to be more aggressive instead of 
turtling, which is kind of my natural strategy, I think, in war games. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It took me a while to figure it out, but I'm going to go with it's okay with me, I guess. I hate it. It like <laughs> because to me, I agree. I think it needs. I I totally agree. It encourages more offensive action. I think the way to encourage that is to make it harder for you to just demolish the enemy's morale from a distance and like safely. Uh, and they didn't design a game that really does that, and so. I feel kind of pressured, in, like, because the game works that way, what am I supposed to do here? Not use the supporting fire? Don't so, oof, don't use that machine gun, or you might scare them too quickly before we can walk over the yeah. map. Now that's, uh, that's, that's, that's a poorly designed scenario, I would think. Yeah, but it felt like I so routinely was running into that, that issue of... Uh, just being able to steamroll them. And then it would perpetuate, right? Like, right. if you demolish them in one scenario, they would come into the next one already kind of beaten down. And so it would take even less to sort of knock them over with a feather. And at that point, it is it is like, I guess I just have to get my guys marching across the map. And yeah, somebody's going to walk into the path of a, mach a machine gun and just get completely wrecked. But that is the price we're going to have to pay uh, in order to just march across this map and, and take the objectives. So, like, that also seemed like such a weird thing. I do not remember it being like this. I do not remember uh, other close combats. Like, I, I feel like when that happened in other close combat games, it meant the map was seated, right? Like, if yeah. somebody's routed off the map, you moved on to the next map. Yeah. And if there was no other map to move on to... Uh, then they would have to claw their way back in using the uh, their edge of the farthest, you know, the farthest map of, uh, you know, of the campaign. And this new system uh, just seems broken. Yeah, I mean, it's it could probably do a little bit better uh, than this. It is situated, but I think some of this ties into the fact that the AI is not, not great. Great. Um, it can put up a good defense. Defense is relatively easy. Um, it does not know how to do an attack, and it still clusters its units. Not as badly as in uh, Panthers in the Fog, but it still clusters its units quite a bit, making them easy targets for mortars or artillery. Um, it doesn't spread them out enough in the map. It will uh, expose itself relatively easily, yeah. um, and it, and it will leave cover. Uh, for no good reason, sometimes. Um, but yes, it wants the, it wants the magic hills too. Uh, but there's a good time to go forward and unsupported uh, crossing the street without looking both ways is not the best way uh, to take a victory point. It's an interesting thing. To me, it felt like sometimes the AI, by virtue of being a little weak, would stumble into doing something really good. A <laughs> thing that... So my problem, and anyone who's played RTSs with me can attest this, I try to cover everything. So I want to be spread yep. thin. And I'll be like, well, if I, if I, if I hold the entire front... Uh, simultaneously, I can slowly start to, uh, you know, amass forces at the decisive point. And all it takes to completely pull me apart is to just say, no, I'm going to blow through in this one location with everything. And I'm like, well, that never occurred to me. And so, like, the, mail the, the mailed fist will always just smash through my flimsy shield. 
the AI, because it tends to move guys in bunches, sometimes heedless of terrain and obstacles, would frequently stumble into having a massed attack in one location <laughs> that would catch me off guard. And that could that could make for a dicey uh, kind of touch-and-go battle for a bit, which was cool. I, I liked that. But, yeah, it didn't... There were a number of things. Uh, it loved to just have troops march down the front face of a hill rather than screen their movement using that hill. Um, and, you know, some maps, eventually, you're just going to have to go down a hill and, like, you know, take the incoming fire. But, man, you don't want to have your infantry just, like, laid out in front of enemy positions spread out on a hill with no way to retreat. And the AI would do that a lot. And uh, it would sort of strand its units in the middle of nowhere. It also didn't seem to have, I don't think I ever saw it do any preparatory fire. Like it would respond to things. If it saw, yeah. if it caught sight of a unit, it would open fire uh, with, with whatever it had available. But I don't think I ever saw it do something like, I bet there's an AT gun in that building and I'm going to flatten it. I don't think I yeah. ever saw that. Yeah, which is something the AI used to do all the time uh, in other close combats. It would often be one of their very first moves would be to lay down an artillery barrage where it guessed you would be. Um, and often you, where you would be, they would guess correctly because it would be an obvious, uh, strategically strong, tactically strong position. Um and it's something that I do a lot. I will often, the first hint of a uh, unit I see will generally be the first one to get uh, the battleship guns right in the face. And Omaha, for example, is a good example of this. The best way to win Omaha is to start with using the, the battleship barrage uh, if you're on the offense there. Um, when I play the Germans at Omaha, um, it took forever for them to decide to use that. Even though it's quite obvious there are people in those bunkers and you don't need to wait until you see the anti-tank gun before you decide you want to take that out when the bunkers should be your number one concern right now. Um, so you'll be like five, ten minutes in before uh, that happens, which is just bad. That's bad war. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, we finally, we finally reached a historical verdict on, uh, on World War II. No, it, it's, the game is, is full of stuff like that. Um, also there's points where, I don't know, they're just very funny systems. Um, other things that can, that designers sometimes have to like figure out how you're going to solve this. What happens to an armored vehicle when it's struck by a shell? Um, you can go with the, does it penetrate and just kill the crew or destroy the vehicle uh, model, or does it not? Um, you can go with the, there's a lot of different forms of damage a shell can inflict, immobilizing uh, a tank, or, uh, you know, you can also have it scare the crew. I am surprised by how much, like, eventually, crews will get tired of just getting the, the shit beat out of them in armored vehicles. Uh, but I was surprised how often you would see a tank 
just absorb shocking amounts. It would be immobilized. It would be stuck just taking like low caliber AT fire. And I would see these kind of amazing standoffs of enemy tanks and like underpowered AT guns just sort of hammering away at each other. Um, nobody able to hit or inflict any damage uh, until like the last AT got, like AT rounds were spent. And I did, I did find it kind of funny. Like eventually somebody would like abandon that, right? Like, like, or there would be some other forms of damage uh, inflicted, yeah. but it, it did kind of seem like the way armor gets hit and the way its effects are calculated uh, through a lot of just kind of wonky results for me. Uh, it's, 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 they seem to be not as susceptible to morale. Uh, damage as infantry out in the, in the open. Um, so it's unlike compared to, compared to Steel Division, where you can pretty much you can do a whole lot of scaring off an inf- a, a tank by just hitting it over and over and over again. And you can also do in Steel Division things like uh, the engine goes down, or you've taken out a gunner, or the tracks off, and you can de- demobilize. That's a lot harder to do here. Uh, it's kind of fun watching two tanks. You know, blow their guns into each other's front and do yeah. no damage for efforts. It's a monitor in the Merrimack just blasting yes. at each other's chest. Yes, there's an ironclad model. And there's just, and nothing happens. Uh, so, which is fine. You've disabled their tank. At least it's out of the action, but so is yours. Uh, so if you have another tank, you can come around behind and try to kill it, I guess. But you, you do have these, you know, uh, shelling standoffs with no one no one's afraid no tanks taking any damage because the shells aren't penetrating but they'll just keep shooting each other um because if any one of them turns they're toast yeah so they've got to keep shooting at the front so it's a smart thing to do uh but you know it's i mean harry i'm saying oh it's great how little armor there is it doesn't mean there's not a whole lot of solutions to that unless you can get your uh, infantry with a grenade or a satchel pack somewhere nearby. I will say it did seem like uh, overrun attacks worked a little better in this game, which is yeah. another thing I've seen systems fail to... Like, doing overruns in the original close combat beyond Overlord um, was usually just a great way to get a squad slaughtered. Yeah, um, I was just always flabbergasted at how poorly that tended to go. I can never quite figure out what was the secret sauce to get a yeah. unit with AT weapons to actually deploy them effectively, even when they were sprinting out from cover, just like 10 feet from a, from a, uh, you know, suppressed tank. Um, here I was pleased at least that if you did just keep sort of rattling a tank's cage, uh, infantry would, move close and it, it tended to be pretty dramatic right like it wasn't yeah. like they would move adjacent and then stuff would happen you'd sort of like a lot of times what i saw would be the inventory would sort of creep close and then sort of swarm the tank and uh you know use the at weapons on mass and that was how a lot of tanks got destroyed uh so that that did seem to to be handled pretty well um but yeah, I, I think as we come to where we're at with this game, um, 
we focused on a lot of negatives or drawbacks or limitations. Uh, I will say, like any close combat, when this system works, it really works. There were some... I had some really great battles. Yeah. I, the, the, the larger map size makes for some interesting possibilities that, like, a battle can seem totally lost, but... You know, maybe that support weapons uh, squad and rifle and, you know, and two rifle squads you left hidden somewhere else on the map. Maybe they can find a way to come in and save the day by peering from an unexpected angle. Uh, you know, you will you will have fights that, you know, as you have these pitch battles uh, rolling between major terrain features right where you'll you know you'll take a hill and then you'll slowly create a firing line along the ridge and you'll engage in this huge you know uh firefight across a narrow italian valley that stuff is really cool and there are some great battles here um but well the move to 3d i think is mostly a success yeah i think we can say that um for all these of the systems, some of which go way back to close combat before this, so not all of our. This is, I think, this yeah. is better. I think than Panthers and the Falk. I think it's better than Gateway to Con. I think it's, uh, I think it's better design, better folks. But I think a lot of that is by moving it back to uh, infantry uh, squad behavior. So in that, so it's a step forward in in that regard. But the three D maps, I think, are really good. You can still have a lot of interesting uh encounters uh, uh there's a sicilian battle where i mean you said overrun tactics overrunning is works better it does you can even you can send a wave of soldiers brave soldiers forward and they can like just scare a guy and he can start running away and you think you're making progress but then he, you realize he's leading into a trap now he doesn't think he's leading into a trap because it's a dumb ai but the ai the units behind him they're not scared so you end up running into there, and you end up, you end up getting your men stuck in an olive grove, uh, exchanging fire, and there are some really good little narratives built up. Um, the campaign, I think, loses a little, bit, a little bit of its legs, but each individual battle, each individual scenario, which you can choose freely at any time. You don't need to play through the campaign. You can play each battle in each map uh, quite independently and quite easily. Um, some of them are very, very good. Uh, I'm I'm a I'm a sucker for the Normandy campaign. Yeah, there are some really good uh, hedgerow good hedgerow stuff going on here. Once again, I do wish some of the buildings were were, were larger and there was a little more color on the map. And but I think the close combat system really does need to have more more information. There's a more more clear information of what's going on. We're we're past the point where just yeah. icons on a map and a little bit of text somewhere else will work, um, unless you're doing something really really new. I mean, if, if I just choose between this and say you know armor brigade or command ops, I'm going to go with command ops or armor brigade. Uh, yeah. I think those are better games now. I think they're more interesting games. Uh, there's a new armor brigade is coming to Steam uh, later this week, and they've got a new uh, nation pack. So maybe I'll back into some Cold War action there, and that's going to be fun. Um, and I, I do think we should try the new combat missions. We haven't yes. done a combat mission show in a while. It's been years. And I think we should really take a look at the new combat missions sometime in... But that winter, requires winter. figuring out how to buy and download them, Troy. Yeah, I know. That's a pain in the ass of to buy games, but we'll have to do that. 
so we'll figure that out. And cause I, I really do. I, I wonder how they've changed. And it's been probably a good seven years since I've played uh, a combat mission game. So I, a new one at least. So it'd be interesting to see how they've turned out and if they still hold up my memory, because maybe they haven't adapted as well. Yeah, they, well, they also tried a very like possible continuous time model of memory serves, right? So you could play it like a classic, yeah, those com- uh, like a classic combat mission, but that was no longer the underlying system, right? It was no longer dividing phases. I want to say into hard set like sixty second time limits, uh, though you can still play it that way. I want like I wanted to say they they'd experimented with just like the structure of the pacing and the turn. Um, yeah, I, I remember being a bit underwhelmed but they also yes they evolved that system quite a bit we should we should take another look at it um I, certainly i feel like they were probably a little more ambitious or willing to reinvent their system yep. than this necessarily is yep. i think close the the switch to 3d you're right it is a huge upgrade i think it is, it is largely successful um i think there are limitations and oddities um the rps review that uh tim stone wrote uncovers a lot of them I did end up feeling as I read that review, like some of the things that were raised there reminded me a little bit of the 100 Jeeps versus a Panther debate around the operational art of war, where a lot of systems are built to approximate. Yeah. And this one very much is too. The question is how often does the approximation cause the game to break down? Um, I don't think it, I don't think the, Issues that Tim uncovered around like line of sight were necess- line of sight were necessarily uh, terrible or uh, caused the game to fall apart, but they may have contributed to the odd decision making we witnessed routinely from the AI. So who can say? But I but I do, I, I did not play this feeling like it was a it was a broken game. Uh, to me, it more felt like it was a game that probably suffered from a bit of underinvestment. Um, and I really did come away wishing that they had put a little more time into creating sound effects and status reports. A lot of things that could maybe communicate information, uh, you know, orally or visually, rather than having me routinely looking down to the interface bars to yeah. see what was happening. Um, this is a, this has always been a series where, like, you know, what distinguished it in the '90s was that it was pretty freaking vivid uh, oh, compared quite. to a lot of its contemporaries, and it doesn't seem to have taken on board a lot of the lessons from other games that maybe were inspired by it. Right? Like, you can have a really dynamic, uh, visually active battlefield uh, that still sticks to like true war game design principles and roots. They just didn't really take that swing here. Uh, and I think the decision to skimp on voice actors was a terrible one. Um, having guys go, we're doomed. Like the, the status reports and unit barks in this are atrocious, even by strategy game standards. Uh, I found them infuriating. Yeah. They're very, they're very Warcraft too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, that was probably another thing they could have put more time into. Uh, nevertheless, um, I I think I am probably with you on the, if you are looking for more close combat, if this is a series you've missed and certainly like I'm in that boat, 
I think it works better than some of the last 2D entries. I liked Close Combat Gateway to Con maybe a little bit more than you, uh, but I do think the quality of life improvements here, uh, the scale of the scenarios, all of it maybe works just a little bit better, and that counts for a lot. Um, I just don't think it comes near 2 or 3, uh, but those, those, may be, those may be the untouchable series benchmarks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is it is the best combat mission in a in a sorry close combat in a while, um, and if it's something you've been looking to do and you want a new tactical game, this is not a bad place to start. With the caveats that the AI is not great, uh, though it never was, and there will be some odd things going on, and it and please Slytherin guys, they're called video games for a reason. The visual aspect is quite important. Yep. Uh, so that will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. This episode is produced by Keith Carberry, through who's the head as host on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA, which also has further information about our super secret Discord server where we occasionally talk about strategy games, although the last time I checked, it was turning into a webcomic discussion. Uh, so it goes. Anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Troy, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.